Holly G with the Golf Insiders. Day one of the grand finale, the Tour Championship. Everybody starts with some numbers on the board, and uh, this is it. This is uh, winner takes all of uh, the FedEx Cup, the big bonus, and the end of the 2023 PGA Tour season. And we're going live to the press room at Eastlake in hot Atlanta. We haven't talked to him in a while, but it's always a pleasure to spend time with the one, the only award-winning journalist and senior contributor for SI.com, Gary Van Sickle, also commissioner of the Stupid Pool. Good morning. Yeah, don't, don't, yeah, don't ask about that. Well, you know, it, it only took the, the allure of an $18 million first prize to get me to come to Atlanta in August, so I guess it worked. It did, it did. So, balls are in the air, Gary. Uh, we've got... Uh, Scotty Scheffler, yet to tee off, but uh, standing at the top of the leaderboard uh, at minus 10. I, I still can't get used to this concept of, you know, starting with a with a r first round under your belt already, Gary. But uh, Well, how did, how did you like it when Steve Sands had to redo the scoring after every time a guy made a birdie in the old days? Yeah, no, that was... You a, know, that the, was the point system was unusable and completely unfriendly, and nobody knew where they stood, including players. At least this way, once it starts on Thursday, everybody knows, you know, it's weird up until we start putting scores up, and then everybody knows where they are. Yeah, I... And you forget about it, but it is, uh, it is a little odd, and you can argue that it's not adjusted correctly, but they're trying to do two things at once. It's like the Air Force trying to build a plane that's a bomber and a fighter. It never works out well. You're trying to identify the best player for the whole season and see who plays the best at Eastlake for four days. Well, they're usually going to be two different guys. So that's the problem, and you've got to decide which you want more. They want to be like NASCAR and have a points race or whatever, and but, uh, you know, as several guys have pointed out, what if John Rahm won 20 times this year? He'd still only have a two-shot lead going into the East Lake. So is, would that be fair? I don't know. There's no good answer for this. I still would like to see everybody on tour have a crack at the $18 million bonus, which includes some guys who probably don't have much money in their bank account. That would be more exciting to see a guy, a rookie, have a, have a shot at $18 million and, you know, get set for life then. You know, Scotty Scheffler, nothing against him, but he's already won $19 million this year. Does he, does he really need another $18 million of which he's, you know, only going to get half after taxes and he's never going to spend anyways? So it's not about the money, it's about the golf. But because of the numbers they throw around, it, it, this one is about the money. You can't, you can't avoid it. Well, after seeing Sunday's amazing shootout between Victor Hovland and Scotty and uh, Brandel Chamblee called it the best ball striking in the history of the game on Sunday. It was pretty spectacular. I'm for the idea of a some sort of a shootout final round for all the big FedEx bonus money, Gary, on Sunday. How about, you know, taking the top eight or something? What do you think? I don't know. You remember, you remember on Tuesdays, on the old days on the PGA Tour, they'd have uh, the Merrill Lynch chip-off, Merrill Lynch shootout, and they'd take 
take eight guys and you know uh, come up play nine holes and each each hole a guy would get eliminated and if there was a tie they'd go behind the green drop a ball and they would chip and the loser would be eliminated they you know it was a way to give people some entertainment on a Tuesday and and have these guys actually play for something now it's extreme but yeah that, the, all those all those ideas are good it's well, what does TV want and TV wants to be guaranteed that they got the top names in golf, which is that they originally sprang from, making sure they have Tiger and Phil at the end. They don't want to have match play and have Tiger and Phil knocked out in the second round like frequently happened in the match play. They want to be guaranteed the top six or eight names in there till the end, and they don't want to, they don't want match play because they can't control it, can't control the time it takes to play. And anything else, you know, it could be a runaway if you have a shootout, a one-day thing. A lot, of, a lot of factors. Uh, you know, Roy said this is the best thing they've come up with so far, which is a lot like saying somebody's the tallest midget, but I, I don't think he's wrong. It's just, at least now the scoring is straightened out, so you don't have a situation where, you know, Vijay Singh clinched the title in St. Louis and flew out of town before anybody knew it was over. This was after the second phase. Or, you know, remember when Bill Haas won, the first thing he mentioned was uh, – we won the tour championship. The first thing he asked Finch was, so who won the FedEx Cup? Uh, you did, Bill. Oh, great. Yeah. You know, that's what they that's, <laughs> That was an they, embarrassing they, they moment. Through some wrinkles. Yeah, it was embarrassing, <laughs> but give the tour credit. They changed this to make it so you can play along at home at least. So we've gotten this far. It's not the worst thing. And uh, the money is – the sums of money being tossed around golf now kind of make everything sound less. I mean, $18 million – ridiculous amount of money and yet somehow now I don't seem that impressed by it. Well Scotty Scheffler already won nineteen million. What do I mean eighteen million is the first price here? I it's kinda like uh, you know, when Jeffrey started out with ten dollar questions and then now they went up to a hundred dollars over after inflation. So inflation's a factor and I don't know if eighteen million is enough. Well a guy who was looking potentially to four Pete uh, and make some history here, and potentially enough money that he could buy a stake of the PGA Tour. Rory apparently has suffered a lower back injury. Is he still going to play? Any update? Well, as far as we know, he is. He's out in the putting green hitting putts. So let's see. Last place is five hundred thousand dollars. So he's he's basically guaranteed. He's got an appearance fee of at least five hundred thousand dollars. If he can somehow go around and shoot even par and, you know, finish, you know, fourth or fifth, he can still make a couple million for the week. And who knows, maybe it's a temporary thing. Maybe it'll be better by tomorrow. We don't know. We don't know the details. So, I guess he's going to play because the money is too big not to. You got that right. So, we've got, as it stands right now, Scotty's at the top, Victor Hovland, then Rory, then John Rahm, Lucas Glover, Xander Shoffley, who loves this golf course, Max Homa, uh, to reflect and rewind to last year, everybody will remember that Scotty Scheffler had a six-shot lead on Sunday, which Rory uh, came from behind and, and ended up the tour champion winner so there can be a lot of volatility 
what's you know what does it look like? How's the course going to play? Weather, etc. Well, it's supposed to be hot and steamy every day, uh, like around ninety-eight. Saturday is supposed to be one hundred and one. Ouch! Uh, I think that's the temperature, not the number of Dalmatians. <laughs> so that's going to be steamy. Well, I don't know what effect that's going to have, but the rough, they've got the Bermuda down here, and the rough is always grabby here. And I'm always amazed at the shots they hit out of it. I was off playing at a nearby course this morning, and I was reminded that, oh, yeah, when I get an actual real Bermuda rough, as a northerner, I don't got that shot. You know, I keep trying different things, and I chip in that grabs my club. I mean, I, I still have to figure out how to play about a Bermuda if I'm going to. I was to move to the south, I guess I've learned. But so I think I think you're going to see, you know, what somebody's going to shoot eight or ten under maybe for the week. Uh, I don't think it's going to get windy. I don't really know the forecast for Sunday, but whoever you're chasing, Scotty Scheffler, he's a ten under. You figure he's going to probably get to fourteen or fifteen under just by accident because he's Scotty Scheffler. So now if you're at five under, you're like, well, I got to shoot ten under for the week, which is not easy to do at this course. So, but yeah, you, um, it's funny you mentioned Xander Schauffele, uh, the guys up there at the top. Yeah, Rory's injured. Scheffler's got some bad memories here. Uh, John Rahm's kind of hit or miss. is uh, a guy who, you know, owns this course. So maybe he's, uh, this isn't, Georgia's not an online wagering state. Pennsylvania is, but he, Sander might be the guy to, uh, you know, put a little money on. I don't know what his odds are, but. Uh, when you mentioned that, it's like, yeah, the bell went off. It's like, I, I kind of like Xander Schauffele's chances. Well, and Colin Morikawa's been trending. Uh, he's sneaking up the board. You've got uh, Patrick Cantley. You can't ever count that guy out. So, uh, I mean, do you feel like it's, uh, you know, just uh, already a tournament for just a handful of guys? What's what's your uh, prognostication? Well, it's, it's going to, it's you know, Scotty Scheffler and, and Victor, Victor are going to determine uh, who's still in the tournament. If they go out and shoot 68 today, okay, the guys who started at even par are probably dead water, barring a miracle, you know, so... They can put it away. They can they can make it a lot easier for themselves than to get off to a good start. And it's not so much the fact that oh, a guy who's ten shots back can't make up the ground after two, you know three rounds ago. It's the fact that he's already they already out there, and they're pressuring those guys to make birdies. And by doing that, the people you know make bogeys. You know, it's like U.S. Open golf. You make three pars in a row. That's a charge. But if you're ten or twelve behind, you can't settle for cars. So that's a subtle intimidation. I think we saw that at the Women's U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. Allison Corpus was up there and she had a lead and, and same with Brian Harmon at Royal Liverpool. Once they're that far ahead, everybody else has to take more chances especially in the weekend and you might have some success but you're asking for trouble and it can be counterproductive. So I think that's a uh, not an intimidation factor, but what's the word? You're in a situation where you have to change your game plan for a golf course that maybe is not yielding birdies, and you, put, you set yourself up. You know, you're asking for trouble, really. Did you get any sense from John Rom in the pressers, you know, where his head is at? I mean, it would seem he's got a little bit of, you know, fire burning inside. 
I think anytime you see a player win their first major, especially if it's, you know, like a Masters especially, I think it throws them for a loop. It's like, I just completed my lifelong dream. Now what? Mm. Imagine if you won, uh, imagine if you had a Powerball ticket and won, you know, $947 billion. The next week, would you go out and buy more Powerball tickets for the next drawing? <laughs> probably, probably not. You, there's a complacency that sets in. I don't, you know, and complacency sets in. It's human nature. And you have all these demands and people want to celebrate and, you know, maybe go a couple of weeks and don't spend so much time on your game. And the, the fine line between number being number one in the world and number eight is like really nothing. If you spend an hour or less a week, maybe you're, you've dropped to number eight. So, but after the first major, you know, go back and look at Louis Usheis and Charles Schwartzel, um, just about everybody, not speed, but a lot of guys that that first one, boy, they go into a tailspin because they're not used to being a major championship and they have to kind of reset and. They, they were introduced. I remember Payne Stewart, Stewart saying this. He played bad after he won the US, his first U.S. Open for like a year. And he said what bothered him was every time he got on the first tee at a tournament, he'd be introduced as the U.S. Open champion. And he felt he had to play like the U.S. Open champion that day. Mm. So it was a self, self-made self pressure by that. And you know, it took him a whole year to figure that out. It's like, well, i got to let that go. I'm just playing golf. Well, uh, I think I think that's probably you know may have been one thing that happened to John Rob. Also, when these these guys are successful, they got a lot of money. When when they have kids, all of a sudden it's not fun to go spend five hours practicing when you could be at home with your kids, or it's not fun to be in a hotel room by yourself in uh, you know to, uh, Moline, Illinois, or somewhere. You're in a you know hotel rooms are all the same. It's 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 kind of a drag. The fun's out of it and. Maybe you don't work as hard and you don't play as well, so then you're even less happy. Well, you know, I mean, David, 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 the David Duvall syndrome. You know, you walk, yeah. as you walk into a hotel room, he said, I'm, his first thought was, I don't want to be here. Yeah. And that was him on the way out because he just lost interest in the life of a tour group. And in John Rahm's case, uh, you know, there's... Yeah, there's... I, I think, he, but you're right. I think he's got the fire, and I think player of the year means something, and I think, he, I think he'd like to... I'll finish it off and stick it to Scotty Scheffler. I, I agree. Yeah, and to your point, there's another piece for John Rahm, who, you know, following in the footsteps of Seve and Alaphabal and, you know, the weight of his country in terms of what golf means and the green jacket. I would say in John's case, it's, it was a whole extra emotional load. Oh, yeah, and, he, you know, he'd already won his U.S. Open, but the Masters is a different category. You're there forever. You get invited back forever. He, he, the Seve connections, you know, uh, it's different from the other majors. So I, I would agree with that. I, look, that guy, when he's on, he drives it straight and long, and that's a good formula anywhere. I'm really surprised. I thought when he won the U.S. Open, we'd see a lot of teachers around the country who go, you know, that swing of his is so short and simple. Why don't I teach that? Agree. If, if you have a shorter backswing, 
it really forces you to use your legs more. In fact, that, there was a, a like a 90-second clip of Rom doing a little – he's giving somebody a tip about this, I mean, like two weeks ago. And he's saying, just pretend you've got a restricted backswing and you can only get your club halfway back, but you've got to hit it 130 yards. How are you going to do that? you got to use your lower body. And, you know, I warm up on the range now doing that drill – and I hit it so good, I keep thinking, why don't I just play this way? Mm-hmm. Why do I make why do I make the second half of this backswing when I'm hitting it this good with half a backswing? So I think he's onto something, and I'm surprised that professional instructors haven't thought this might be a better way to teach amateur golfers. I like a swing, and nobody said the same thing about Doug Sanders, who famously had a swing you could fit inside a phone booth, but Rom's you watch his swing, it's like, how does he ever get it offline? It, it's a good swing. A lot less goes wrong, that's for sure. Yes. Uh, bring me up to date. The commissioner, uh, of course, met with the media. What, he, what were your thoughts in terms of his comments, the latest of where they are with the live framework agreement? Well... My thoughts were, yep, I didn't think he was going to answer any questions, and he didn't. (laughs) So we don't know anything more than we did before. Everything's guesswork. We can all, I can sit here and make up stuff, but I don't know anything. Uh, You know, somebody asked me this morning, you think the lid's going to come back next year? It's like, well, a lot of of those big-name guys they sign, like Phil, I think most of them sign three-year contracts. So I think contractually... They're going to have to have some kind of a live season next year because they owe these guys. Interesting. But, you know, paper's always meant to be, you know, torn up and thrown away. So does that, yeah, does that mean anything? But if you, honestly, I feel like if you want to punish the live guys, maybe the way to do it is to set them out, set them out there and let them play their meaningless exhibitions and collect their money, which the Saudis are paying, not the tour. And uh, go ahead and continue to be off the radar, except for the four majors, if they happen to get in. Uh, and then that gives the tour, a, a, buy some time for the tour to figure out what to do if they're going to dissolve live and these guys want to come back. Uh, but that's just me thinking out loud. That's not what Jay Monahan said. I don't, we don't have any idea of what they're doing. They're saying, oh, everything's going along well. Well, he's, he's not going to tell us. And I think... This lack of transparency is one of the reasons. I think the one thing that's going to happen is one way or another, Monahan is going to be out as commissioner eventually. Now, I guess is he's going to just move over and become the CEO of the, I mean, technically he already is the CEO of the new for-profit entity that oversees live and the tour. Well, if he's going to run that job, don't, it doesn't, won't the tour need somebody else to be the commissioner? So that would be one way to move him out of the commissioner and make some players happy. But he's still going to be in charge, you know. And I think based on the last two commissioners we have, one was a lawyer and another guy is, I don't know, what's Monahan's background? Marketing, advertising, I don't know, communications. I think the players would be happier uh, with someone like Dean Beeman, a guy who was a player himself. I think they want... Hello, Tiger Woods, perhaps? Well... That's an obvious one, but does Tiger really want this? He- he's, you know, does Tiger want that headache? I don't think I don't think he does. But you can start think of the smartest tour players who've been on tour, and what are they doing now? Are they who aren't playing? 
Um, you can just make up names, whether it's Joe Ogilvie or Jeff Ogilvie or uh, Joe Durant or I don't know. There, there's a lot of smart guys out there who aren't playing golf anymore who are not on the senior tour. How about Davis Love? Davis Love, he's got a lot of money. Does he want the headache? I don't know. It's not like it's, oh, it's a fun job and I don't have anything else to do. No, you got you to gotta be a diplomat. All, those are all good. Yeah, he's a good name. I would throw him in the mix. I'm going to be doing a podcast with him soon, and that's one of the things I'm going to ask. We'll see. But, yeah, somebody like that who wants to, he's already he's done playing golf, and he wants to make sure the tour keeps heading in the right direction. And uh, I'm not sure who that would be. But, again, this is all supposition. It's not like I know anything. Well, I love when I can tee up the questions for your podcast. Yeah, I love when I can make up stuff. That's great. It's way easier than writing, having to report facts, validate it. This is great. All right, now's the time for you to throw your dart, Gary Van Sickle, put on your best Karnak hat, and tell me who is going to win the Tour Championship. Well, I touted Xander Shoffley before, so it'd be hard for me to go against that. But I think Scotty Scheffler is fed up with being second, third, and fourth all the time. So he's got the lead. He might just uh, – he likes the heat. He's from Texas. Uh, I hate to go with the chalk, but I, it's going to be hard to catch Scotty Scheffler if he does anything at all. So I, I love I'm, I'm going to say Scotty, but I, I – you know, I, Victor's win last week, and had to take something out of him. And Shafla doesn't really have anything to show for this year, so. And he's great in this course. I mean, he really is. If I was, the odds on Scotty Scheffler, if I was wagering, probably are too low to be worth the trouble. I would probably, you know, I hate. Of course, the thing about gambling is a W is a W. It's better to bet somebody to win at even odds than to bet somebody to lose who's going to lose at 99 to 1. Right. But. You want to pretend you to pick the winner, but you have to weigh the risk versus reward, and I think the risk and the reward is too small on Scotty if you're, if you're a gambler. Um, so I would, I would, I would, I think Scotty will do it. But if I was wagering, I'd probably put some money on on Xander Schauffele. Well, he's definitely uh, Scotty's definitely got some unfinished business. I loved his his comment in the press conference. He said, "Part of professional golf is living a life of frustration. It's a little bit, little bit like being a, a golf journalist, right, Gary?" Well, it's, it's like us everyday golfers. We all are frustrated because we we don't do as well as we think we could, and uh, that's just the way it goes. Nothing you can do. And now, imagine, imagine if your whole livelihood, your whole life, revolved around your golf score. Uh, for us, how much more frustrated you would be. So, yeah, it makes sense. So who's your pick? You know, I'm, I'm kind of liking Colin Morikawa. He's inching up the board here. You know, he's been playing well, and he's, you know, kind of one of those stealth guys. Well, the nice thing is all picks are good at the start. I did a I did a column uh, it's probably up at si.com right now about the tour champ uh, random thoughts but one of them was pointing out that you don't know what to expect in golf uh, some guys at Golf Week magazine who are all follow golf who are on tour they're experts they made some predictions for this year and their predictions included 
Tiger to contend and maybe win the British Open at Royal Liverpool. They predicted that Roy McIlroy was going to complete the Grand Slam to win the Masters. Uh, players of the year, they were picking Xander Schauffele and Tony Finau. Those were all good picks back in January when they made they didn't turn out well, but they were still good picks when they made them. So our picks right now are great. <laughs> Check back Sunday, and we'll see how much we'll egg see. we have on our face. We'll see who uh, who made the, the, big, the big bucks other than whoever is going to win the FedEx Cup bonus. And as I like to say, good points, well presented, Gary Van Sickle. Thank you so much. Read all of his good stuff this week at SI.com. We've got that story in the golf insiders today, Gary. So, as always, appreciate your time, my friend. Good to hear your voice. As usual, it was great being had by you. <laughs>